0: I appreciate Donald for leading us in uh, the reading of our scripture. Judges chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through 15 is one of the Bible's passages that really should bring great sorrow to your heart. It should bring pain and misery to your mind and, and your thinking, knowing that uh, there are generations that are raised up that do not know the Lord. You know, as a child, I remember I must have been about eight or nine, and we had went from Cayenta to to, to, to the Walmart. Uh, We need to make a Walmart run in in Page, and so we drove that way. I was with my mother, my siblings, and my grandma, and I remember we go to the Walmart, and we're in there, we're looking around, and of course you're only making a trip to town. I don't know, maybe once, twice a month, maybe. Um, So we're getting everything. We're there all day, and I remember at the end, my grandma's like, "Okay, who's got the truck keys?" And she looks at us, and we look around, are like, I don't know, I don't have it. And she goes on a, she loses her mind. And we are then punished. I'm a nine-year-old. I have no reason to be carrying the truck keys. I don't drive. Yeah. But it was like, you guys had it. You had it. I gave it to you. It was interesting how it went from one kid to the next, to the next. Apparently, all of us touched the keys at some point. But in Grandma's mind, that's what happened, she said, you go in there, and you find the keys. Why don't you look down every aisle? And so that's what we did. We were staying the night there anyway, so it was okay. We had time to burn. So we literally went through the aisles. Maybe somebody had put it down somewhere um, uh, to mishap. Well, she even gets on the intercom, and you hear her make an announcement to us saying, Aaron, Evan. And Alan To-to-cheatney, please come to the front. Your grandma is asking for you. So we go to the front. And she's, the whole time, she's sitting there. She has a little grin on her face waiting for us. And we're like, what, what, what happened? And She said, I found the keys. <laughs> and we said, where was it? She said, it was on the lanyard hanging around my neck. <laughs> what she had done is she had gone into the store holding her sweater while in the sweater, she got, while in the store she got cold, put her sweater on, hence the lanyard being covered by her sweater. So she had been walking around, pointing the finger at us, all the while the lanyard was around her neck. You know, sometimes a lot of us have those stories, right? They call that, I guess, a senior moment is what I hear. Not my words, I've heard it, but I hear that happens. I've got plenty of those, and I'm in my 30s, so I guess it's not good news for me. But a lot of us have those times where we just simply forget, right? We just make an error, it's an accident, and it's it's unintentional. Well, the Bible says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 that there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. This wasn't an instance of an accidental forget. This wasn't an instance of I just forgot to mention that I left the coffee on, or I left my, uh, my hair curler on. It wasn't t- one of those forgetful, forgetful moments. There was a generation that was raised up, church, that was not taught about God. And as a result, the Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 11, the very next verse, and the people of Israel did what was, what's that word? <laughs> Evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the Hebrew word ra. And that word ra means destruction. That word, it means calamity. And so the same word that had happened, it precedes the previous verse that said why evil or destruction was the result. It was because they had not been taught about their God. You turn on the news the past week, you have been overburdened, overwhelmed with the news of the shooting in Texas. You know, and it's sad that this is not the only one that we've heard of. And if we're being honest with ourselves, it's probably not going to be the last. Why? Because the more that we raise up generations that do not know the Lord, the more that Ra will flood this world. The more that destruction and calamity... You know, I heard Ravi Zacharias say in a previous, I think it was over this because of the Sandy Hook shooting, he said the thing about these shootings is the bullets were entered into the mind well before the bullets ever were entered into the gun. The Bible tells us that it's important about what our kids learn. It's important here about, they, about things that we choose not to teach them, because the result of that is even more destruction. And that's what we have here in Judges chapter 2. And when we think about where, the, where, this, where these people are, the Israelites, they had just come off probably two, arguably of the most... Greatest of, in your probably your 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 opinion, two of the top prophets or leaders that God had commissioned to overtake and lead His people. You remember Moses. The Bible says, and He sums it up in in Deuteronomy chapter thirty-four and verse ten, that when they were under the leadership of Moses, and there had not arisen a prophet or, might I say, a leader since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The people were blessed under the leadership of Moses. Well, after Moses died, then we know who succeeds him. It's Josiah. I'm sorry, Joshua. And the people, Judges 2 and verse 7 says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. I don't think that's, uh, that's coincidental. That under the leadership of Joshua, the people knew God very well. goes on to say that all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua also influenced the people. So when we think about the Israelites, they've inherited great leadership. And the Bible says in in, uh, Judges 2.10 that they did not know the Lord or the work He had done for Israel. Well, what what work is this writer referring to? Well, in your Bibles, just stay in the same chapter. Go back to chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. That's the work that God did. I freed you from slavery. As the Egyptians pursued you to to take you back, I, through my servant Moses, parted the waters and allowed you to go through on dry land. I destroyed your enemies. I did that, God says. And notice this. He says, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice, God says. Can you hear the pain in his voice? I won't forsake. I won't break my covenant with you. Whatever I promise to you, God says, I won't break it. I'm not that type of God. He goes on to say, but you've not obeyed my voice. What's this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. There is a consequence of you forsaking me. And he goes on to say, But they, the people, they shall become like thorns in your sides, and their gods shall become a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. Interestingly, the name of the town there, Bochim, Literally, the meaning of that Hebrew word means weeping. How fast we forget all the wonders that God has done in our lives. How quickly we forget. Think about your life and think about all of the obstacles you've had to overcome. And think about how you're sitting here alive today. Who did that? Not you. It wasn't your might, your wisdom, your strength, your creativity. It's God given. There's no such thing in the mind of a child of God of self made. It is God made. And so when we think about what they did, the Bible says that there arose another generation of them who did not. Number one, know the Lord or number two, they did not know the work that 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 God had done for Israel. There are two gods mentioned, and I, you know, being the nerdy self that I am, I love to to research these things. But the first god um, that you see, Baal. There are different forms in the Old Testament of this god named Baal, and it has maybe, uh, maybe another word attached to it. Well, basically, Baal was the Canaanite god, and this god the Canaanites believed was the god of storm and rain. Well, let me ask you this. If you are completely dependent on agriculture, how important is rain to you? It is livelihood. It's life or death, is it not? And so other people had come up with these gods and said, Wow, there's a God, and and man, we're so thankful for this rain because the rain is able to produce food for us. And so as a result, the god Baal was lifted up and people of all nations came to know him as one of the supreme beings. They worshipped him. And they would go around and pass it along to other nations, and other nations had different forms of Baal. But this is why it says in plural, uh, in verse number 11, at the end of verse 11 it says that they serve the Baals, plural, because he had taken on different forms as a pagan god. The second god that's mentioned here is the Ashtaroth. The Ashtaroth is the goddess of war to these nations and, and fertility, So if you look at any of the idols or the images, it's depicted as a female goddess with many breasts. Um, And that's supposed to depict that she is a a god of fertility. She is a god that provides. Um, Other nations knew, knew, um, knew her as Anoth. And so over and over as you come up and you see these different gods that are mentioned, there's a reason why. Because they had attributed what Yahweh provides and they had given that... They had given that acknowledgement to other gods in different forms. But when we think about this idea of Israel being raised up, this generation uh, of new God fearing people, what was the first thing that corrupted their obedience or lack thereof? It was their knowledge of God. Church, if there's one thing we need to do today is to raise our children up about knowing who God is. Who is God? Why, why do we worship him? Why why is he important? You know, our girls, they go out and and they play. And we've gone to the stage now where, you know, there are other kids that live next to us. And we're kind of, I'm hanging around right there by them. But we let other kids play and there's... There's a little boy, and he comes in, and they're like, hey, um, I won't say his name, but we're going to church in a little bit. It's Wednesday night, and you should come. And he says, oh, I don't like church. It's boring. You should have seen the look on my daughter's faces. I mean, I thought they were, I was kind of holding them back, you know. They were going to go after him. How dare you say that? And we had to explain to them, and that was a teaching moment, not everybody's raised going to church. And that's, that's a sad reality, but it is reality. But if there's one thing I can control in my household, it is serving and loving God is a regular thing. It's what defines us. Is your family defined by skills? Do people look at your family and say, man, they're the athletic family. Do people look at your family and say, man, they, they, got, a lot of, they got a lot of smart people in their family. They're, they're educators. You know, one of the things that I make sure I do is the day that I die, that people will say he raised his family to be God-fearing. And that's it. That's it. At my funeral, if all that can said about me is he raised his family to fear God, I'll be completely content with my life. And I pray that's the same for you. See, Israel had got into this this mode of, of being passive in their faith. And God says, You forgot about what I did for you. How quickly we forget about all the wonders that God has done, both in this life and in the spiritual world. That He has, can you believe it? He has overcome death through the sacrifice of the giving of His Son's life. Man, you stop and pause about that. You should be grateful. And that's why in the Psalms, every time there's a theological statement or an outworking, it always ends with a praise God. Because you can't think about God and what he's done for you without ending with praising him. You can't do it. When you really think about it, you're going to express how you feel. And that's gratitude. Somebody put Israel apostatized or basically fell away. Israel fell away not because it had Because it had forgotten but because sin is ever forgetful listen to this when the blind man sins it's not because he does not see the creation which god created but because sin is blind both in those who see and those who see not isn't that true that god ca- that sin causes us to go blind we, we we can't see we can't we don't appreciate all the things that god provides anymore because i'm so focused on what i want I'm so focused on fulfilling my flesh, and as a result, I lose sight of God. There's a movie or a video that Josh had uh, told me about some time ago, several years ago, but it was um, it was a, a film, not well known, but it was depicting Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son. And the way that this movie had gone about it was, it used the biblical story, but it had a father and it had I, I, it had some kind of harlot, some kind of uh, a prostitute representing sinfulness. And as his son, he says, he, and it uses, I think it's the violin. Is it, Josh, a violin? I think it's a violin. And, and this father raises this son up and, and he uses, gives this child a beautiful violin. And this child begins to play and his father's teaching him and, and showing him different ways that he can make music and it's beautiful and they have a great relationship, and the kid goes older and older, and he's playing, and he's getting so good at playing, and the father begins to play with, and both the son and the father are making beautiful music. Then the scene switches to from in the home to outside. And outside, the, the, the movie goes that um, the son is playing, and he looks over to his right, and he sees a beautiful woman out in the distance. Oh, uh, it was right, Larry. Yes, not, not every beautiful woman you see out there. okay. But he looks out there, and he, he sees that she's also got a violin. And she begins to play a, a song, and he steps away from his father. You get where this is going. And his father notices, and he sees his son walking away, and he, he plays the violin harder. And the son walks away because he wants to get closer to the, to the other, uh, other woman and she's playing harder. And as the son is walking away from the father, the, the father is playing like his life depended on it to get the attention of the son to come back to me. Don't go. And it isn't until he goes and then he is an intimate relationship with her and we know how the story goes in Luke 15 that it isn't until the son is lying in the muck, the mud, the, the filth of the pigs that he comes to his mind. But that's what Israel had done. It had forsaken God. Two men put it this way, constantly meditating on the works of God promotes piety. It means I just, I just want to do what God wants me to do. It, that's the result. When you're always meditating on God's works, he goes on to say, causing us to fear God, to believe in Him and to serve Him. If you want to get your household to serve and to love God, talk about God all the time. Talk about Him. Talk about it and everything He's done. Number two says, As long as the remembrance of the mighty works of God continue alive, so long also does active gratitude, covenant faithfulness, and endurance. That's how you promote it is we're all about what God, who God is and what he's done. When we think about what the Israelites should have done, we have several um, examples of what they were supposed to do. Uh, just six chapters, uh, sorry, um, four chapters later, we're going to read about one of the judges by the name of Gideon. What did Gideon do that they should have done? It says in Judges 6:28 that when the men of the town rose early in the morning behold the altar of Baal was torn down. Who did that? It was Gideon. It says and the Asherah beside it was cut down. That was the command from God. Or if you one of my favorite passages is to read about King Josiah and how he became just everything God wanted in a leader. Second Chronicles 34, starting in verse three. The Bible says, "For in the in the, in the eighth year—that's a typo there—of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek God of his father David. He was 16 years at this age. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved images, and the molten images." So they would cut it down. Church, there are a lot of lowercase g gods in our lives today that we need to do this too. What are we pursuing as a church, as a family, as you personally? Yes, education is important, but it's not everything. It's not worth you loot your soul over. Yes, sports are great. It's a great way to get you into college. But guess what? At some point, you're going to be like me, and we're just talking about glory days. There's nothing else for it. What do I have to show for it? My body's beaten down more than it would have been if I didn't do sports. My mom has cleared out all of my trophies. I go back home, there's nothing on the wall anymore for me. It's my youngest sibling. She's got the wall space now. But we will sacrifice To the God of education. We will sacrifice our children to the God of sports. We will sacrifice our children to the God of just being favorable in this world. Without knowing, or even in the sadder case, with knowing, that it will all mean nothing in the end. If knowing all that you're doing is going to to impact your child's life so that they will choose God in their adulthood, would you be willing to cut those down sometimes we need to do it and so I was looking around and I was trying to find some practical application I went to the Barna group and you can go here Um, it's very interesting it's this uh, database where they do polls and polls of Christians loosely used and they poll them and all kinds of stuff and they just report this data well in this article that said, How do I make a vibrant spiritual home? Something that helps me avoid chapter 2, verse 10. Number one was the point to make your home a, vi- a spiritually vibrant one. They go on to say, to make spiritual practices, and here they define that as praying every day, reading the Bible weekly, if not daily, together. Number two, Spiritual conversations, make that regular. Don't make it a church only thing. As you're driving, again, you're with certain people and you're on the drive, you're going to hear about God making the world. You're going to hear that. Number three, it says hospitality, right? We did a whole study on that, meaning literally in the Greek, a lover of strangers. They said, defined here, hospitality is welcoming non-family. Family is easy to have in, right? Well, some of us are like, yeah, sometimes. But family, hosting family, that's a great step. But hosting non-family is even better. Because the, the home gets into this, um, into this, this, this uh, mode of having, having guests over talking politely to them, serving them with whatever you have. Number four, families that Bonner recognized as vibrant families practiced the following. Of these vibrant families that they considered, 32% of households came together for game night as a family. Just us, so we're going to play whatever game. We were blessed to go join the Barnes family for game night. And man, that got competitive real quick, but we loved it. They, they did that regularly. You know, they, they'll, uh, it was something they did. It was like, okay, we're having somebody over. Samuel whipped out a table from behind the corner and somehow seven seats appeared. And they just, it, you could tell they did this regularly. It wasn't new. So as was, we had a great time, 63% of these vibrant families eat breakfast together. 75% eat dinner together. That is such an important time to come together to talk about how you guys are all going to approach the day, and after the day is done, to say, here's how our day went. Right? If they can outlet to us as parents, as a family, and not to social media, and not to the worldliness, then that's a win for us, isn't it? It's a win. 34% do house or yard work together. That's very important. You serve together. Yesterday at uh, Aaliyah's graduation uh, Andrew Osif made the mistake of wearing shortcuts. He got put to work right away. He's like, man, it's because I'm wearing shortcuts. I should have wore jeans. But he had the, the shovel and he was cutting weeds while everybody was coming on in. But working together, the, the data shows that when a family does work together, it helps. 68% host household or family meetings. Do you guys talk about what your family believes in? It isn't necessarily... Bible, it isn't necessary church, but it's like this family will do or will not do such and such. And that cuts out the, well, look at that family over there. Well, that's, that's fine, but we don't do that. This is what we do. And so it says that's, that's what's very important. Number two, don't overlook the powerful influence of spiritual parents in the home. If both, here's some percentages for us. If both father and mother attend church regularly, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers, and 41% will end up attending irregularly. Only a quarter of their children will end up not practicing at all, is what this data finds, this study finds. If the father is irregular and the mother is regular in attending church, only 3% of children will subsequently become regular themselves while a further 59% will become irregulars men it's important that you lead your family by being present the data shows that if you're not part of the spiritual home then it means detrimental for our children he says 38 percent will be lost If the father is non-practicing and the mother regular, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers and 30% will attend irregularly. Over 60% of their children will be lost completely to the church. Point four, let us look at the figures in the other way around. What happens if the father is regular but the mother is regular or non-practicing? Extraordinarily, the percentage of children Becoming regular goes up from 33 to 38 percent with the irregular mother, and 44 percent, it increases percent with the non-practicing, as if loyalty to the father's commitment. Long story short, when both parents are committed to God, the children are blessed. Your children are blessed by your commitment to God. If God is not a priority in your home, judges chapter two and verse number 10 is a very likely situation for them. They will grow up not knowing the Lord. They will not be aware of what He's done. And as a result, God will let them, give them over to that raw, to evil, to corrupt nature. Number three, Barna goes on to say, that one more important thing that's important as far as raising up a generation of faithfulness is faith heritage relates to faith practice. What, is, what do we mean by this? A person's experience with Christianity while growing up does seem to be linked to their belief system, even into adulthood. I'm sure you've come across people who are not necessarily God-fearing people, but they'll tell you, I was raised in a Christian home. You know, So they were, so we know that not everybody that's raised in the church stays faithful, right? But regardless, the data seems to indicate that a strong Christian heritage... Does not automatically equate to a person's strong faith. Why? Because the children, at some point, have to develop their own faith, right? But the point is, the more that this becomes a godly home, a godly environment, then the in, then the percentage of their faithfulness increases drastically. I'm going to drop down to verse three here, uh, number, point number three, because this is what I heard uh, in person at the men's leadership meeting just a few weeks ago. Uh, Brother Holloway, uh, Aaron's not here, so I can't ask him, but I don't know how old he is. I don't want to guess. I'm really bad at guessing ages for the elderly. I, I really o- overguess so much, and then it's just bad. Um, but he was, he was an elderly man, and he said something when talking about the youth and their falling away. He said this, I was not converted by any church program. I was not converted by our youth group. I was converted by the faithfulness of my mama and my daddy. And he's been a longtime elder at the church at Tonto. Matter of fact, the Bible he was using belonged to his mom. The Bible he used today belonged to his mom. When the parents, when the leaders I'll say, and you say, I, I don't have kids. Well, you're influencing someone. Your faithfulness will bleed onto others. And they will have a great impact because of your desire to, to fear God. We'll end here. If there's one thing that we can learn, if one thing that we can take away from Judges chapter 2, because we do not want to follow into that, right? and, and I want to make sure we're, 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 we understand the world is going one way, but as many people that we can contact here If we could just say, okay, within these four walls right now, if we can do this, then that's great. Joshua 24, verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him. Serve God how? In sincerity and in truth and put away the gods. Church, if there's something you need to put away this week, find one. We all have them. They may not be idols in our closet that we worship and bow down to, but they're in our lives find a God and tear it down. This week, he says, put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you that you are not the only person that is struggling with this. Everybody in this room is. But we are commissioned with gathering one another to say we can do better. We are held to a higher standard and that's great. So we embrace it. And so if you need to make changes, which you do, and I need to make changes, which I do, together we make, we make changes that allow us to look more like Jesus Christ. If you have not become a Christian, if you don't know how to become a Christian and you're unaware that the gospel teaches that one must hear the word of God, repent of his ways, proclaim his name as, as Lord and Savior over your life, and then you're baptized into water and then raised up to a new life, then you're a Christian, New Testament Christian. If you haven't done that, then today is a great day to take care of that. If you are a Christian and you've been struggling with God's in your life, you've been struggling with priorities, then let us help you, let us pray for you, let us correct you. Let us correct you because we all need it. If this time is for you, We really would hope that you come forward as we stand and we sing as Reggie makes his way up and he leads us in our closing song.